Our sermon text will be one verse in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, if you'd like to read along with me. Matthew 7 and verse 6 reads, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Our title that we're going to take for this message, the more aesthetic title would be Pearls Before Swine. The more direct title, as far as the substance of the message, might be Dogs and Hogs. So both are relative to our subject matter. The text in and of itself, as I read it, you may have noticed is very unique if you contemplate that. The Lord said something very unique here. It's unique also because of its location. Notice it is in the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. The location of being in the last chapter is not what I'm talking about, but when you read the five verses before it, and then you read what the Lord said after it, which we did not do, it kind of on the surface makes you wonder, well, why did he say this there? Because it doesn't seem on the surface to be connected to what was said before or what was said after. After contemplating this and studying it to some degree, I tend to believe there is a connection with what is before and what is after, and I'll reveal that to you later on. But the location of this, pearls before swine or dogs and hogs, is kind of unique here. The subject matter in and of itself is very unique. Here the Lord is speaking of persons, and he's talking about using the metaphor of casting pearls before swine or giving that which is holy unto dogs. So the substance of the text is also difficult on the surface because there is an obvious metaphorical meaning here that we need to try to understand. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, those chapters, are full of do's and don'ts. In fact, the Lord's ministry is full of do's and don'ts as the Bible is full of do's and don'ts. And of course, as believers and followers of the Lord, we want to be obedient. So that means doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. And if we don't understand what we are to do or what we are to avoid, it's going to be impossible to be obedient. So as students of Scripture, this is why we study Scripture, preach the Scripture, and diligently search the Scriptures in order that we can understand what is required of us in the do's and don'ts. Very important to our stewardship. Because if we don't know what to do or how to do, how can we be obedient? So if this is a don't, which it obviously is, give not, so that's don't give that which is holy of the dogs, neither don't cast your pearls before swine, then we need to understand the meaning of it in order to obey it. So it's very much like a parable the Lord used parables, using metaphors and things. And unless and until you identify the things within the parable, then you don't get the meaning and you can't apply it. So we'll follow that procedure right here. We'll make our points of three questions. One being, okay, what is that which is holy that the Lord refers to that we are not to give. That which is holy also has the reference within the verse of being like pearls. So what are the pearls? What is that which is holy? Secondly, what are the dogs and the swine, the dogs and the hogs that will not receive or don't receive that which is holy and the pearls? We must identify that. And thirdly, what is meant when it seems to suggest danger or ingratitude of trampling the holy things 
and the pearls underfoot and then the danger of even being rent or turned upon in a vicious manner by the dogs and hogs. So that is the three questions. That is what we'll look at. Hopefully when we're finished, we'll know what this means and how to obey it. So first of all, what is meant by that which is holy or also the pearls? And he says, give not. So don't be giving these things. And then we'll identify to whom, where, what, or whatever. Well, let's just contemplate on what it says. That which is holy. Think about holy things. If you were going to sit down with a pencil and paper and start writing down holy things, what would appear on your paper? I guess we could ask, well, what degree of holiness also, maybe, would come into the picture? Well, if we were back under the Old Testament, under the ceremonial law of Moses, we could probably come up with a pretty big list, couldn't we? Remember when Moses was instructed on the mount about building the tabernacle and all the things therein? Wow, there, was a, there would be a huge list of holy things, weren't there? I mean, the very curtains and things that made up the tabernacle all the things that were used in the various ceremonies, all of these things were consecrated, sanctified, and designated as holy things, right? Right into the holy of holies and the mercy seat and the ark of a covenant, which had literally, we might say, a death threat on it. It was so holy that many of these things, if violated, resulted in death. Aaron's own sons violated some holy things with the burning of incense, and God struck them down dead. So it would have probably been easier for us to come up with a list under that form or mode of worship, which again was ceremonial worship, than it is today because we don't have ceremonial worship today. All of those things have passed away. We have a better form of worship. Different, yes, but better. Was that good? Yes, but what we have is better. Because we worship God in spirit and in truth. And as Jesus told the Samaritan woman, not in a designated mountain or place, by designated rites and ceremonies anymore, although a lot of religions today are still carrying that on, aren't they? It's passed away. Bottom line is, we don't have any vessels in this building the morning, this morning that you should put on your list as holy. You shouldn't even write down this building as holy. What would you put down that is holy today? January. 2022. And when I say that, I'm going to go ahead and add to it that is 100% holy. And again, I say this in contrast to some places of worship. There are things in the wall that they call holy. There are things up here that they call holy. There are people who stand where I'm standing that take on a holiness that's not there. Well, the bottom line, the answer is very simple. If you're holding your Bible this morning, Amen. that is the only thing we have today that is 100% holy in this world. You can look this world over. And irregardless of what many will tell you is a holy building or a holy thing, it's not holy. All we've got is the Word of God. You and I are not 100% holy. But the Bible is 100% holy. It always has been. It always will be. Now think of that. Worldwide. I mean, there are people who would die for things that are designated as holy. Would pay enormous sums of money, and some do, for stuff that's supposed to be holy. It's not. 
but we do have. Thank God and praise God that which is holy. And it is the Word of God. Paul said it to Timothy like this. 1 Timothy chapter... I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says... Verse 15, From a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is the most valuable thing there is in the world today and the most uniquely holy thing there is in the world today. Obviously, when we think about holy, a Christian thinks of God because God is holy. The Trinity is holy. And God's Word is holy. God is with us today, but we do not see Him. But you have your Bible in your hands. So, What is meant by holy? What is meant by the pearls? It is God's Word. God's revelation of Himself. What God has spoken. And in fact, let me put the question to you like this. That will bring it home even more. What do you have that you can give that is holy? Well, again, we just answered it again, didn't we? You can give a lot of people a lot of things, but they're not holy things, are they? Again, when you give somebody, as I have said to you over the years, and you've heard me say it many times, when you give somebody the Word of God, you've given them the greatest gift that you could ever give them. It's far superior than a million dollars if you had it. It's better than a home and a car and a friendship and everything else because the Word of God, as designated in the text, like pearls, has a value that is unsurpassed. It's God's gift to us. We're supposed to pass it on. That which is holy. And let's think of it not only in the sense of being holy, but of that value which I'm talking about now. Pearls. Jesus spoke of a parable about a man who found a pearl of great price. And he sold everything he had in order to latch on to to possess that pearl. And what a marvelous lesson that is. And that's another sermon and another subject. And we've even discussed it here. But the emphasis is of what? Unsurpassed value. And let's even think of pearls. Why are pearls valuable? Well, usually anything that is valuable has uniqueness to it, doesn't it? Or else it's not valuable. If it's common, it's usually not valuable in a material sense. You don't just walk out of your house and pick up pearls off the ground. Do you? No, they don't live there. They don't exist there. They're not made there. There's not a lot of them. They're not in abundance. That makes them unique. But again, I won't go into detail, but if you're familiar with how pearls are formed, it's very unique, very rare. And then the very substance of what a pearl is and the appearance of it. And all of that contributes to the value of it. That's what, that's what makes it. Well, likewise, the Word of God. This is not just a book. This is God's Word. God breathed. God spoke. God revealed. And there's not another one. And there's not going to be another one. It is the only one. Everything else is a fraud. A fake. A counterfeit. God has spoken. The book is finished. There's not going to be another one. That's why this book is not only holy, but more valuable than anything else in the world. It's done. 
It is rare. It is unique. Its source, its content, its characteristics are just like the pearl. They're one of a kind. There's nothing else like a pearl but a pearl. There's nothing else that is more holy or more valuable than what God has already breathed, revealed, and given to us right here. So, like the pearl that the man found, where do you find the truth of God's Word? Well, you can pick up this book. If you get the right book, the Holy Bible... But if you don't have it or couldn't read it, where would you find it? Well, you should find it in the Lord's institution called the church, which is supposed to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. Well, the Bible, their text rather here says, give not that which is holy. Now, that throws us a curveball, does it not? Because in Sunday school, I just read to you, and we have back there part of the commission over the back door when we go out. We should be aware of that every time. That we have been called by our Lord to give the gospel, the word of God. And I even said a while ago, that's the greatest gift you can give anyone. And it is, and it should be the thing we want to give to people as the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what in the world is meant here about give not the Word of God? When we have a commission that tells us to go and preach the Word of God. Well, quickly somebody may say, and of course the commission is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That is our commission to give the Word of God. And as preachers, uh, Paul told Timothy, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season. The Bible in the book of Acts says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. So both by commandment and example, we should follow that. So what's with give not? Well, you might remember, and somebody might say this, and I want to bring it up because I want to dispel it, that when Jesus first gave the commission, it was a restricted commission, and indeed it was in Matthew chapter 10. He told those first 12 disciples not to go in the way of the Gentiles. He didn't use the word Gentiles. He used the word Samaritans. He said, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But while that was a restricted commission, replaced by a universal commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, at that time it was not absolutely restricted. What do I mean by that? Jesus in himself talked to a Samaritan woman by which she was saved. And by which through her testimony it appears others Samaritans were saved. Remember? Also, there were on occasions other individuals who were not Jews that fell in also. There was a Syrophoenician woman also brought into the kingdom of God. So when Jesus said, go not in the way of Samaritan's one, he said, don't make that the first priority, but he didn't say kick them out if they want to come or anything like that. You see what I'm saying? He set forth a priority. Was that what Jesus was talking about? No. Now the Jews called all non-Jews dogs, Gentiles. They were dogs in that respect. But the Bible tells us God's not a respecter of persons and that God always planned that the Gentiles would occupy a place in the plan of redemptions. By the unbelief of the Jews, the Gentiles would be grafted in. So that really doesn't give us our answer, does it? It's not designating, and this is the point we'll make we pass on here, it is not referring to non-Jews as the dogs and the hogs. Okay? It's not talking about an ethnic group or a certain race of people, civilization, etc. That we want to eliminate. Because the commission we have still in effect for 2,000 years now is going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Well, how are we going to find out? Well, maybe the second point will help us. Who is meant by the dogs and the swine? 
In the metaphor, these are obviously persons because we're talking about giving out the Word of God, that which is holy and valuable, that which, as Paul told Timothy, that by learning it, studying it, what have you, in verse 15 of 1 2 Timothy chapter 3, is able to make thee wise unto salvation. And again, I stress that because there you have a value that again is unsurpassed, cannot be measured, and is not compared to anything. You can read a lot of books. You can read a lot of theological books. You can read all kinds of things. But there's only one book you can read out of that will make you wise unto salvation. And that's what God has said. So this, has, this book has an unsurpassed value. Nothing else will do that. But that is what God has ordained as the means of calling out those who do believe is the ministry of this book. So... Who are the persons meant by dogs and swine that it is not to be given unto, or if it is, we might say cautiously? Well, let me, first of all, let's just think of dogs and swine or dogs and hogs. To a Jew, both of these were two of the most loathsome, abominable creatures on the planet. And of course, today, to a Judaizing Jew, a pig, a swine of any kind is still the bottom of the pecking order. And of course, this even laps over, you know, into Islam and other of those religions over there. The swine has the lowest place there. And let me insert here about a dog. Back in Old Testament times, even in New Testament times, to some degree, Dogs were not like the dogs we know today. They weren't pets. They were feral dogs, okay? Uh, they were wild. They were mean. They were vicious. They were anything but a pet. So both hogs and dogs had the characteristics of being naturally filthy, scavenging, self-gratifying, mean, vicious, even ignorant in many ways, and therefore some of the lowest of creatures. That's what hogs and dogs were thought of by Jews. Now, how do we apply that to persons? Well, Peter... I think, was thinking of these very words when he wrote what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, and 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse 22. Familiar scripture, speaking about those who apostatize in verse 21. It says in verse 22, Peter says, But it is and happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I don't know how many things will eat its own vomit, but a dog will. We know that. That is not a pleasant thing to think of or to witness, but they'll do it. I've seen it. We know there are other creatures, by the way, that will regurgitate things for its young. But for something to get sick, vomit it up, and then turn right around and take it back in again is loathsome to say the least, isn't it? Likewise, if you've ever been around a pig, you know that a pig will eat anything. They're not very picky about what they eat. If our chickens would get in the hog pen, the hogs would eat the chickens. We used to have an old saying in Arkansas, if somebody disappeared and didn't show up or they was running late, maybe the hogs got them. Because a hog would eat anything. Good food, rotten food, Anything, it didn't matter. Bottom line here is you get the idea, again, that not only are these scavenging, filthy, self-serving animals, but they have no morals, no, no moral comprehension or intelligence of what is valuable, what is good at all. If a dog will eat its own vomit, it's not very picky. If a hog will eat anything, excrement and all, 
Then again, pretty loathsome. And so to cast pearls before swine, a hog's not very smart. I mean, again, if you've been around them, they can survive. Wild hogs get smart, instinctively survive. But not as far as reasoning or figuring things. They're, they're not smart like a dog is or, or other animals. You know, you know what I'm talking about here. So if you put pearls in a pig trough, a pig would probably try to eat it and would not appreciate the fact of the process that it took to produce those pearls and that those pearls could be sold for a lot of money. A pig would not be conscious of that. Likewise, a dog, if you fed him a choice steak, probably, he'd scarf it up just like if it was five days old. In fact, he might like the rotten one better. Who knows? So the whole idea here is that there is a filth, a selfishness, a viciousness, an ignorance, and an ingratitude and unappreciativeness associated with these animals that applies to people. And that's what Peter was picking up on. That the person who like a dog will go back to something that they've left that is so loathsome as vomit will go back to that. Or a sow that once she's all clean does not appreciate cleanliness at all but would rather be in a filthy mud hole and mud is not just mud and water if you know what I'm saying, when it comes to animals. And again, a dog loves to wallow in anything that is rotten or dead. Again, so these loathsome creatures. Well, you may be thinking now, well, well why would the Lord say this about anybody like that? Many of the characteristics I've just described to you are not just the characteristics of hogs and dogs, but of people. In fact, Solomon, the wise man in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, made a statement on this account that doesn't get a lot of airtime or pulpit time or denominational time, but I want to remind you of it. Ecclesiastes 3.18 says, I said in my heart concerning these states of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. A man's sinful nature, a woman, mankind, if left to themselves, will take them to the low state of animals. We've all seen it. We can observe it. It's a natural course if man is left to himself. And I'm not just talking about uncivilized. I'm talking about civilized people. What were those things? Naturally filthy, scavenging, self-gratifying, ignorant, does not value anything, and even becomes mean and vicious. That doesn't just apply to dogs and hogs. That applies to sinners, folks. I've described ourselves. In our natural Adamic state, we are prone to various degrees of those very things. Now, if we are not to take the gospel or the word of God to these types of persons, how do we know who they are? Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give that which is holy unto dogs. How can we go about saying, well, she's a dog, he's a hog, and I'm not going to waste my time with talking to them about the Lord. Well, the Lord didn't tell us to go about making such designations, didn't He? He told us to take it to every creature. And some creatures are not very pretty when it comes to people, is it? But that's not supposed to stop us. Well, preacher, get to it. What are we how are we supposed to figure this out? Well, let me say to you this way. The dogs and the hogs will manifest themselves. We shouldn't go about looking at, and in fact, chapter 7 of verse 1 begins with, Judge not lest ye be also judged, right? We don't have the right to go about looking at 
people and saying, well, she's a dog, he's a hog, and you know, making these prejudice designations. We can't go about and look at people and see their heart. We don't know if they're the elect of God or a reprobate. We don't know that. That's why we're to take the gospel to every creature. But in that process is how we'll find out who the hogs and who the dogs are. That's, they will manifest themselves. So don't be a going about applying a label to somebody you don't know anything about. Let them apply the label to themselves by a manifestation of their own actions in regard to taking the gospel to every creature. Now I'll put it to you like this. We know from the Bible that when the gospel and the word of God goes forth, some are going to believe. God has so ordained it. He that is of God will hear God's words. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. The elect of God will manifest they're the elect of God because they'll respond to the word of God. The Bible teaches that. As surely as in the beginning God created, the Bible teaches that. We don't know who they are, but they identify themselves by embracing and believing the gospel. Repenting and believing. Do they not? That's the example we have in apostolic times, in church history times, and it will continue on till the end of time. Take the gospel to every creature. Some will believe. It's referred to as a remnant, but they're the elect of God. Let me give you some examples of that. Let me just quickly. I'm going to do it quickly. In the Acts chapter 2, and we praise God for this. That's why I want to, I want to at least spend a little time here. Acts on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, remember the events of the day of Pentecost. They heard the gospel preached. 16 at least different languages. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest, the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Let me tell you, those 3,000 there, if they were all genuine, repented, and believed, they, they're not who you could call hogs and dogs. No, that's the elect of God. Just by their actions they manifest who they are. Chapter 4, verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. There's 5,000. They're not hogs and dogs either. Because they believed and embraced the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's run over to some Gentiles. Acts chapter 8. Philip and Samaria. Philip went down in verse 5 of Acts 8 to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He didn't know who hogs and dogs was down there. I bet you there's a bunch of them down there though. He didn't know who they were no more than we know at that point. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Alright, not hogs and dogs and those that believed there was Acts 13 and 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. No hogs and dogs right there, and those in that verse. Those are those that believe. And then jump over one more in Acts chapter 17. In Thessalonica, it appears there were some hogs and dogs. There were not only some sheep there who believed, but there was a bunch of hogs and dogs, and the hogs and dogs run Paul and Barnabas out of Thessalonica. Read it with me. Verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogues of the Jews. Now they had to send them out because of the hogs and dogs that resided in Thessalonica. And I'll get to it in a minute, but I'll go ahead and say it here now because it fits those hogs and dogs at Thessalonica trampled underfoot the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul had preached to them and then turned around and tried to rent, rend Paul and Barnabas. That's why they sent them away because of the danger. Now look at what it says in Berea. 
These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So these are those who believe. These are the elect. These are the sheep. There's not any hogs and dogs among them. But we see the hogs and dogs where they resided at, like in Thessalonica. Now, leaving those who believe the gospel, most are going to reject it. That's just a fact. It, the testimony of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, church history is that most who hear the gospel will reject it. I can't give you a percent because there's not one. I can't give you an equation because there's not one. I can't tell you that for every ten people you speak to Christ about, one of them will believe, and that's based on the ten lepers who Jesus healed. One, No, I can't do that. That would be frivolous. I don't know the mind of God. God could have a hundred people to believe today in the same place tomorrow. Nobody believes. That's, that's, God's in charge of that. However, most will believe. And most, I believe, will have what I'm going to label a passive rejection of the gospel. What do I mean by passive? Well, I mean just that. Well, I just don't believe it. I'm not going to give heed to it. I'm not going to obey it. Like, like Jesus' disciples, John 6, 66. They were long for the ride. John 6, 66. Remember that? And Jesus preached the word of God and truth to them and it hit them a little too hard and it offended them a little bit. And they said, well, we're just not going to follow along anymore. We're just going to find an easier path somewhere else. They didn't rise up and try to kill Jesus. They just quit following him. They just quit listening to him. They just didn't believe what they heard. And this probably is where I'm going to say the majority of the unbelieving fall is in this category. They just say, well, I, for this reason or that reason, I don't like this, I don't like that, I'm not going to believe it. You believe what you want to, I'm going to believe what you want to, blah, 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 blah. You know, even old Felix, when Paul preached to him, you know, and he said, well, I'll, I, Paul, I'll, I'll hear you in a more convenient time. You know, we'll take this up another another matter or what have you. And then even, if you're still in Acts 17, when Paul was preaching there, down to verse 32, uh, those Athenians he were preaching to, you know, they were so smart people. It says, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocks, others said, we'll, we'll hear you again on this matter. And they just go on in passive unbelief. Passing it off. Well, those are not the hogs and dogs either. But there is an element who do not reject the gospel in such a manner. And this is what we're told to be aware of when he says that they will trample underfoot the pearls and perhaps turn and try to rend you. Now again, probably all of us here have been bit by a dog at one time or another. I've never been under a ferocious attack by a dog. I was able to stop it pretty quick, most of them. But a dog, a big dog, can be a vicious... Dogs kill people. They can. They're capable. And so can hogs. If you've ever seen tusk on a hog, a wild hog, I've got friends, I know stories. They'll kill you. They can. They're capable. They're mean, they're vicious. Not just filthy and all the other things, they're mean. They can kill you. And the warning here is, some that you share the gospel and the word of God with will turn on you. And if they turn on you, then you know who the dogs and hogs are. It's not these passive ones that just fall by the wayside. You know. No. There's no passiveness here. The Bible is full of examples, Old Testament and New Testament, who when God was shown unto them, spoke unto them, preached unto them, taught unto them, if we could have seen their faces, even though the Scripture don't see it, you could just see the blood rise in their neck and their faces getting red because it just caused a violent anger to swell up within them. Not only because of the message, but the messenger. Ahab and Jezebel hated Elijah because they hated God. They hated God's Word. That's just one example of the Old Testament. 
But when somebody hears the holy things of God, the truth of God's Word, it don't matter what truth it is, whether it's the truth about God, the truth about them, the truth about salvation, the truth about miracles, the truth about whatever. It offends people to the point of rebellion where like a hog or a dog, they'll turn on you viciously. A hatred, a violent, rebellious hatred. And in that sense, they become like a wild animal. I'm going to show you just a few examples of this in Scripture, but the first one I want to show you is a Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29, where a reference is made to exactly what the Lord said here. Hebrews 10.29 says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant where he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. Now this verse is directly connected to our text because of its content. You see what it says there? What about the punishment of those who have the valuable, holy Word of God presented unto them and like a hog that ain't got the sense of a peanut will just tromp it underfoot, don't care what it is. You could throw gold in a hog's trough. You think he'd appreciate it? Of course not. Pearls, no. Just waller in it, walk over them if he couldn't eat them. If he can't eat them, it ain't no good to a hog. I believe that's a hog philosophy. If you've ever watched one again, I believe that's true, don't you? If they can't eat it, they don't care for it. It must be edible to be of any value to a hog. never thought about it in that way, but that's certainly true. So we're talking about people here, as Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, who when hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, care no more for it than garbage which they'll walk over spit on the ground and walk over it. Things that are thrown on the ground of no value and walk over it, trodden under foot. You know, in London and other cities and uh, things over here, they just threw the slop and excrement and everything else out, out in the street. And everybody walked over it, horses, carriages, drove over it. I can't, that's, but that's the way it worked. If it was no value, it went out in the street, underfoot. People do this to the Word of God. They see no value in it. They don't want to waste their time listening to you talk about it. And they do despite to the Spirit of grace, the Spirit that speaks through you to them. <clears throat> don't bother me with such garbage. And the Word of God is called garbage. And so are God's people to those that don't have no care for it. These are the hogs and the dogs. These are the ones who Paul said in Philippians 3 and 2, beware of dogs. Again, a reference to our text. Who, when hearing it, will blaspheme it, will rebel against it, and will turn on you and try to do you in. Let me give you a few examples here and we'll wrap this up. Let's start with in the New Testament. You know the stories in the Old Testament how Ahab and Jezebel tried to kill Elijah and chased him. And I mean, that woman was evil and Ahab was a puppet, not a man at all. But you know the story. Again, did they just hate Elijah? No, they hated God. Elijah told them God's word and they rebelled with a vehement, murderous, conspiring hatred. If you read those stories and you miss that, you missed it. We come to the New Testament and we see the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, who had no choice but to tell old Herod, what you have done in taking Philip, your brother's wife, Herodias, it's adultery, it's sin before God. How did that go over? Didn't go very well for John, he ended up losing his head. Herod hated to kill him, but you can't tell me that Herodias didn't hate John the Baptist. She did not like being told by God's man, God's word, woman, you're an adulteress. She didn't like it a little bit. And when she got a chance, buddy, 
She used old Herod. She pulled the strings. Women know how, men know how. It don't matter. There's various ways. I'm not just talking about the kind you're thinking about. I, well, you know, human beings know how to get their way. And out of whatever it was, but it was hatred that moved that woman. You can't persuade me it's any different. She got exposed. And that's why a lot of hogs and dogs will turn on you. They don't like being told they're sinners. They don't like being told what their lifestyle is going to bring them to. So John got beheaded. But he told the truth, did he? And then we have the Lord Jesus Himself. And I don't have time to read these Scriptures. I'm already over time. But I will give you... Let me give you a few. I've got to. I've come this far. Shall I? Can you bear with me? Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 14. Just some examples to stir your mind. Jesus preached the truth 100% genuine without flaw. Right? As nobody ever did because He was both God and man. I have flaws in my speech. I may tell you a wrong scripture. I may say something wrong. I may mislead you. Jesus was incapable of that. John the Baptist could have done that. Paul could have done that. But Jesus, no. It was pure every time. What was his reaction most of the time? Most of it was not passive. And that's because his message was so pure and he was so pure. (laughs) And I'll say to you this, the more pure we are, the more turning and rending we're probably going to face. But verse 12, chapter 12, 14 of Mark. And when they were come, they said unto him, Master, I'm sorry, I got the wrong verse. Uh, Matthew 12, 14. I said Mark. I can't read my own writing sometimes. Forgive me. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14. Get it here. Then the counts, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Hogs and dogs, you better believe. It. To turn on the holy Son of God, to blaspheme his words, hogs and dogs. Jesus didn't have to point them out. They identified themselves. And then he legitimately could say, you bunch of hypocrites. Their words and their actions manifested. 27 and 20 of Matthew, the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And I could go on and on here. But the Scriptures are throughout the Gospels of these types of hogs and dogs that turned on the Lord and eventually did have Him crucified. That's the people we're talking about in the text. That's the people the Lord's talking about. Let me give you a few more and I'm done. You remember Stephen, the first martyr, Acts 17.51? What does the Bible say when he preached the Word of God to them and then told them that they were unbelieving hypocrites? What did they do? They gnashed upon him with their teeth. Does that sound like a wild animal? It does. Did they behave like a wild animal? I don't have time to go there and read it, but if I did, that's exactly what would come to your mind would be a a scavenging, vicious, wild dog or wild boar hog. What'd they do? They beat him to death with stones. How civilized is that? And they enjoyed it. Just like they enjoyed crucifying the Lord and mocking Him when He is on the cross. These are hogs and dogs. That's who we're talking about. I've got to read this scripture of Paul's example and I promise it's the last one and I'll make a closing comment. We'll be done. Appreciate your patience. Acts 13 and verse 40. This pretty well says it all and I want to read this one because it's an example for us in my closing comment. Acts chapter 13 and verse 40. Paul is at... And Barnabas are at Antioch in Pisidia. Not the Antioch in Syria that he went out from, but Antioch in Pisidia. Verse 40. Beware therefore, he says, lest that come upon you which is spoken by of in the prophets. Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. 
hogs and dogs. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it <coughs> unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul contradicting and blaspheming. When you present the Word of God to anybody or you see anybody reacting to the Word of God in this manner, they have identified them as hogs and dogs. And in this state, let me say, hear me, they're not worth your time. It's time to move on. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul's example here, and we could go into Acts 19, but we won't do it, but the bottom line is, this is the example for us to follow is the one I just read to you. Take the gospel to every creature. But if you get this kind of reaction, to do any more is to cast pearls before swine and that which is holy under the dogs. I'm not saying to you that once they identify themselves as hogs and dogs, they can't be saved. Because this very individual right here who's speaking to him, Paul was once a hog and a dog of the same cut of cloth. He was doing the same thing, and God saved him. So I'm not saying all hogs and dogs are reprobates. I want that on the record as we go out today. However many of them may be, or most of them, I don't know. But it's time to move on. When they manifest themselves, move on. Move on. Pray for them, but move on. When the Lord sent out the twelve, He said, if they won't have you, shake off the dust and go on. If they'll have you, stay there. If they kick you out, i got another place for you. Sow your seed somewhere else and pray over it that God would send you or send you to somebody that will appreciate it rather than trample it underfoot and turn in and try to rip you wide open. The text in reality is not as difficult as perhaps it seemed on the surface. And I said I would say this to you, so I'm going to keep my word. I believe it is connected with what goes before and what goes after it. And I'll leave this with you. The first five verses are dealing with judging before we get to verse 6. We're not to judge prematurely who the hogs and the dogs are. We're to preach the gospel to them. To everybody, as if everybody was the elect of God. When they manifest themselves for what they are, then, okay, hogs and dogs, time for me to go somewhere else. And then secondly, the verses that come after the text is all about giving. Asking it shall be given, you know, given this, given that. So there is a giving and there is a judging before and after this. And that's really what our text is all about. Don't prematurely judge, but keep on giving that which is holy to sinners. God bless this to your hearing.